Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the World Cup on Caught Offside. Rivaldo! Oh, it's come off guard! Rivaldo! Brazil in front! It's Ronaldo! Oh, yes! Caught offside from just outside of New York City and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Big reaction to old FCC Andy. Mm. Uh, so, So many people in the mentions from, what podcast was it? Monday's podcast? Um who were saying it was Tipper Gore was yeah. the person who put the uh, the stamps, the the explicit stamps on the CDs. And um, a friend of mine who listens to the pod uh, texted me, and uh, he's given you the moniker Tipper Bore. Oh, that's real nice. That's real nice. Here's what I'll say. I'll never bring it up again. I've <laughs> message received. We're just having fun. Message, no, 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 not even his, Tipper Bore. Uh, there were others who are who are actually mad at me about this. No, yeah, I've gotten the tweets. Ooh. It's over. Stop. I'll never bring it up again to all oh, the no. dads out there uh, who try to listen, and moms out there who try to listen with kids in the car. I've lost. I tried to fight for you. I've lost the battle. <laughs> oh uh, my get god! Ready for lots You're... of f this, maybe even c words. Who knows? Who knows what's <laughs> yeah. coming down the pike. Don't you dare. And and stop pretending like you're, you, you've just lost an election. Uh, I've tried to fight for you. I did. And you're conceding. I'll Shut never up. bring it up again. Honestly, I don't want to swear the, swear the show into absolute oblivion. I don't want to do that either. So I'll, uh, I'll meet you halfway on that. I, and I was not going to bring it up tonight. This is all JJ. <laughs> all right. So the people who, who are mad at me for bringing it up, not this time. I've been seeing those tweets. I'm not responding Tipper to Boar them. Tipper Boar is I've pretty funny. Them. Yeah. Whatever. You can all go go have a good time at your Black Horse Tavern or wherever, and you can all laugh about it together. 
what a show we have coming up for you. This is this is really the first moment in what has been just a frenetic pace of this World Cup. Uh, the first moment where we've had a chance to kind of like collect ourselves, take a breath, be reflective, think about... Towel down. Yeah, all of that. Think about the tournament so far. Um, and so we'll, we'll do that in a little bit where we kind of do, I mean, I guess kind of like a gearing up for the, the last couple. You know, there's only what? Like, how many matches left now, JJ? Like, you have uh, the, just four? You're down to the last eight teams, so that's four games. And then you have the se- the two semifinals Six. and then the final. And oh. the, Hey, and the third place game. Come on. No, no one cares. But it is a game that counts. So we're we're down to eight games? I mean, geez, that's all that's left? That's... Today was weird. Today was weird. As well as... Um, you know, just there's such dreary weather in New York right now. Mm-hmm. The fact that you didn't have the wonderful distraction that the World Cup's been, it's been, it's been rough. And then we'll have another day tomorrow. And then just a a, a, smor- a smorgasbord is overused. Like an amazing cheese plate with all the cheeses you love, but they're football matches. Like a charcuterie of... Uh... A charcuterie board of amazing games. A cornucopia. Cornucopia. That's a good one. Mm. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Now, even though there was not action today on the field, it did not mean that there was not action at all. First off, I should say that the uh, the Vinicius press conference was <laughs> wound up being quite interesting when a cat wound up on the podium... And then was immediately launched by the Brazilian PR officer. What's he doing? Who thought he was, who thought he was being cool. Uh, finally, my time has come. And, uh, and uh, he did a little shrug afterwards like, hey, am I, am I not wrong with what I did? Abs- oh, my God. I'm so close to swearing now. Absolute. Oh, I can't. I can't. Go ahead. What a dickhead. <laughs> He's just a dickhead. All right. I, it was like Kurt Zuma was running the press conference. There's no first of all, the, the cat was doing nothing, and he pets the cat as if he's going to leave it there. The cat's just laying there. Leave the cat alone, right? Leave it alone. And he picks it up, not uh, by the he scruffs it by the back of the neck and also the back, and then just drops it. Yeah. Oh, and there was a, like a there was like a huh. Yeah. What? Even Venezia's kind of shot him a look and then had like sort of an uncomfortable laugh and smile after that. Like, there were a lot of ways to handle that. That was, like, the last possible one. Crazy. And, like, you just don't treat animals like that. The, the cat's doing nothing. Yeah, it was, it like, was weird. Nothing. Just it leave was... him there. It would have been actually funny and, and totally in tune with cats' attitudes to everything else, To for the cat to just lay there and listen to the press conference and go about its way. I was also reading a thread Um. I don't know how long ago it was, maybe a couple of months ago, about how uh, cats are revered in Islam. Like, the cats are are, are, are taken very seriously. I think they're, they're the, it might be the only animal that's l- allowed inside a mosque, you know, and there's this whole thread of all these little little bits of information about how cats appear in, in different parts of, of, of Islamic storytelling and all that. Don't do that. <laughs> Definitely don't do that. If there's... If, if if we're all about respecting, you know, countries and 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 the and and the places we're in, don't start throwing cats around in Qatar. Yeah, it was it was bizarre. It was a bad look. Certainly. I hated it. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. 
I'm very um, upset. So that was one bit of action, I suppose. And then the other one, JJ, it felt for a moment there like we were on the precipice of USMNT Twitter Armageddon. As news broke, courtesy of Jeff Carlisle at ESPN FC, that the U.S. Soccer Federation was in the process of negotiating a new contract with everyone's favorite manager, Greg Berhalter. Um, so Twitter obviously exploded. Um, and went wild over the possibilities of this. I'm reading here from ESPN FC. Uh, USMNT manager Greg Berhalter set to begin discussions on a new contract with the U.S. Soccer Federation, sources have told ESPN. One source acknowledged it's still very early in the process, and the other sources have indicated that Berhalter is interested in exploring European club options. In a statement to the media later on Wednesday, though, U.S. Soccer Sporting Director Ernie Stewart said that the Federation would be conducting a review of the team's performance in Qatar, Quote, as we always do after a major tournament, we are taking time to reflect, the statement read. We will conduct a full review with everyone involved as we determine our next steps. We look forward to building off the performance in Qatar and preparing for the journey towards 2026. So in the end, I would say it's unclear where things stand currently between Bearhalter and a new contract. My guess is, I mean, look, we we hold Jeff Carlisle's reporting in the highest regard, Um my sense is that there are they probably are ready to begin negotiating a new contract. This feels almost like, I don't know, almost like a, a game of semantics a little bit. Like I, the process of, of contemplating the new contract for Bearhalter could also coincide with them reflecting on the job that the team just did in this tournament. Uh, plus, I do believe also that Bearhalter probably is exploring his options within club football in Europe. So all of these things are probably true. However people want to read into Ernie Stewart's statement, I would say, barring Bearhalter finding a job very quickly in Europe or taking himself out of the running so he can truly pursue that, I would expect negotiations for this contract to get underway soon. There's a cohort of U.S. fans, quite a sizable cohort, as we know, who have so little interest in, in having Bearhalter return and have such a low opinion of him that when they read that part about uh, Bearhalter and European clubs, they automatically must have thought he was going to Ibiza for a vacation and he was going to visit some some excellent electronic music dance clubs because they they think he's fit for nothing. Nothing. Certainly not in football. Um, I, I actually think it's probably the the center point of those two statements. They are in they are opening negotiations. They're not, they're reviewing, means nothing's really happening. A review process will probably happen over the next few weeks, probably months, and we won't really know anything until February. That would be my view, because there's going to be well, no U.S. Well, there's a January camp, so... Is there? Yes. Is that camp happening? Uh-huh, and then they play Serbia and Colombia. Oh. Come on now, catch up. No, I've switched off. Okay. <laughs> switched off. There's Well, you better switch on, because we're going to be doing emergency pods after those games. <laughs> so even after a World Cup, there's going to be there's going to be a camp. Interesting. Okay, I think it should be in the um, U.S. Soccer Federation bylaws that Dave Sarah can be brought back in immediately following these major incidents to steer us into the next direction. You just love that, just so you can see some see some of Sarakin and spend some quality time in his company, <laughs> Daddy. <laughs> um, I mean, people continue to be. I think and I'm flattered by it, kind of curious on like where we stand. I think we've been, you know, what I said the other night, I I remain kind of fixed on that position of, yeah, I hate saying this because like we're in a world of like, you either hate this guy or you love this guy. And it's, it's one or the other. Um, you're either bear halter in or bear halter out. I, honestly, I'm of the opinion where if he, like, like I said, 
if he goes, I get it. Like if they decide not to bring him back, I completely understand it. Um, if he is back, I wouldn't be upset about it. Uh, no matter what, if he's gone, I will, I will not be one of those fans who celebrates it. Who's, you know, who's of the good riddance posture on this one. Uh, that's, that's just not how I feel about the job that he's done. Um, and so now the next phase that we're getting into all this JJ is because you've had, you've had enough days go by here where, okay, so all of the, the yelling and screaming from the bear halter out people, like that's all happened. And so now we're in the next phase of it where people like myself, yourself on the last podcast, you know, it's like, okay, we, we hear you, you hate, you, you hate this guy and you think he's done yeah. a horrible job here. We get it. Who's coming in? Who's coming in? And so now we're in that phase of it where it's, where now, okay, they have to have names. And so we went through the initial part of that phase, JJ, where the names that were thrown around, I thought were largely ridiculous. The Pochettinos, names like that. Um, so now we're in the next phase where we've got to try to find the ones that are actually realistic. I don't know. I mean, maybe there are some out there. Like we talked about Jim Curtin the other night with Danny Higginbotham. Um, here, I'm going to be brutally honest with all of you. I know people come to this podcast. They do, they want our opinions, but they also hope that we can deliver factual information to inform you in some way. I'm going to be horribly honest and expose myself here when I say to you. Please don't expose yourself. I have please. to. It's part of this. Nobody uh, wants that. Are we not on YouTube? <laughs> I'm, I'm glad there's quotes behind you. <laughs> I will say this right now. I don't have a bleeping clue. I don't have an idea of who would come in, who could be great for the U.S., who would be a disaster for the U.S. If Bearhalter has a second cycle in charge, is that a good thing? Because we continue this with consistency, with the consistent message. Would it be a horrible thing? Because there's a segment of the population out there that suddenly believes no manager should be entitled to a second cycle, which, by the way, is, is a thing I feel like I'm only now just hearing. And I have a feeling it's because people are, are scrambling to find reasons why Bearhalter should not be the one to continue. I mean, look, how many American soccer fans out there were desperate for Tata Martino to have this job last time around? And he was oh, an unmitigated disaster with Mexico. It was horrible. Uh, so, like, we don't know. None of you know. You can throw out names that make you sound smart, and I'm not. I'm saying it's not that you shouldn't try to think of who it should be. I'm not just saying it should be Bearhalter by default. But we all have to at least agree we're, we have no clue what's going to work here and what's not. Whose messages will resonate with this group of players? Whose messages will clash with this group of players? Which personality of a coach that they'll just hate that we think on paper looks good? It's again, it's not to say that Bearhalter should have the job for life. But I'm just saying when we enter kind of like the smug phase of this, where if you suddenly don't think that like manager X is going to work here better than Bearhalter, you don't know what you're talking about. Like you don't know either. I just want, I just, I need us to all agree on that. Okay, fine. If Pep suddenly becomes available and wants to come to the U S and do this, sure. We can agree. Yeah. You know what, Greg, thanks for the memories. We're moving on. We can agree on some of them, but some of these names that you're seeing now, it's just like, I don't know. Okay. Like would Ralph Hasenhutl be better? Like, I don't know. I don't know. We had, there was a guy on and pushing Hasenhutl who, who I would imagine will want to stay where the money is in Europe and will want to rebuild his, his reputation. He came to England with a big, big reputation. He's leaving with a, le, with a less big reputation, a smaller one. He'll want to revive that. Like a lot of these managers want to work with players day in, day out. They do not want to be sat 
in however nice it is over here, in whatever part of America they end up doing nothing for a lot of the time, watching video, watching tape. They they don't want to do it. Um, I also find that like I find this conversation kind of tedious because I saw some lists of names that were circulated, and you're like. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Like, I, I was prepared, list, JJ, initially. I Zinedine Zidane. <laughs> I saw it, too, and I was, I was prepared to have a game tonight on the pod where I would list the names, and then you would tell me who would be better or worse than Bearhalter. Uh, I, I decided to abandon that mainly because I care about you. Yeah. That's another thing. Can we lower the tone a bit? Like, there is guys out there with... Um, USMNT names and avatars for like terrified to put their own name to anything. Some are willing to put their names. A lot aren't just going around abusing anyone. If they say even the, the nicest thing about Bearhalter, just absolutely the, the most innocuous comment they're on top, absolutely piling on like football's supposed to be, you know, good for a discussion. Um, I've, heard, there is a, I've seen a lot of that too. I, we should no, be fair. Good, there has there. I, I do think it's a little bit of a mischaracterization to to classify this entirely as an uncivil debate because there I, I have seen a lot of good back and forth on this as well. It's not once just. You, it's not entirely. Once you start toxic. a thread, once you start a thread, you put a few suggestions together, then out of nowhere, guaranteed, you'll have someone barreling in, telling them you don't know you don't know ball or you don't know anything. Yeah, it's, that is true. But I would say that's true of all. That's all sports debates. Prob- in the, in it the is stadium. probably true of all sports debates. Now, um, JJ, I have good news, and I know you'll especially. We're going to talk this. about something else. No, not even close. Uh, no, um, my my new favorite. Well, I've always enjoyed his work, but of late, my my new favorite U.S. soccer writer had an article out that I thought was very interesting that I wanted to bring up to you. That's right. Henry Bushnell, JJ. Oh, um, he has, Jesus. He is does he great work. Things? I don't know what your problem is. He's excellent. Henry Bushnell counts the cars on the highway, is it? I don't get you. He's, he's really doing a great job. And he has an article because, like I, like I referenced before, there's this notion over the last, I'd say, week or so, I don't remember hearing much about this in the past. But I don't know, maybe I just wasn't listening for it. But there's a notion suddenly that no manager should be given a second cycle unless they've done something extraordinary, like Didier Deschamps, Yogi Lowe, um, managers like that. Um, and so we've been hearing that as a reason why Bearhalter should not be coming back. And so Henry Bushnell has an article basically attempting to kind of dispel that notion and say that that's kind of a false myth, uh, that managers in a second cycle don't succeed at the rate that those in the first cycle do. Um, he he looks specifically at this World Cup. He says seven holdovers from 2018 led their same teams to Qatar, and five are still standing among the eight quarterfinalists. A sixth, Aliou Cisse, led Senegal to the round of 16, where he lost to a fellow second cycler, England's Gareth Southgate. Only one of the seven, Belgium's Roberto Martinez, failed. Um, and then he said, you know, you could say, okay, well, a lot of those teams advance simply because they're just really good teams. But he does point out that comparable nations who are also really good with coaches on first contracts like Germany, Spain, Mexico, Denmark, Uruguay, all exited early. I don't know, JJ, if there is empirical proof suggesting how second cycle coaches do versus first cycle coaches. My guess is it's probably pretty similar. That's just my I, guess. I, I, I would also think it... it 
it matters deeply what squad you have to work with, what other teams you're, you know, like, I don't think there's, there's a cookie cutter answer to these questions. Um, if I, if I was anybody right now, and I've been like reflecting on the U S campaign and trying to see if the, if the good things that I saw were, were real or if it was opposition based, some of it was, some of it was real. There's an article by John Muller about the United States campaign on the athletic. And I would urge people to read that. I'll even send you, Excuse me, if you get in my DMs, I'll send you a I'll send you a token or whatever it is from from the Athletic if you're not a subscriber and you can Wait, go what do you read. mean? You're going to get people your like your password? No, 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 you can send or you used to be able to send someone a token to read an article. So they they could go in and read the article. It's like a it's like a a, a pass, a guest pass. Oh, wow. And um so if you're a subscriber to the to the Athletic and I I I just think I read through it and, you know, so many things like field tilt, uh, passes in the final third, you know, a lot of progress from from previous campaigns. Like a lot of the good football you saw them play wasn't a figment of your imagination. Now, huge problems then in the in the in the finishing and I would say the creativity department when we got into the penalty box. But it's a really good article. It's worth reading rather than having tedious conversations over something that like we just have to wait now and see what Bearhalter does, where USSF are, and then we can go and assess the candidates. And there'll be good journalists out there who will put the people in front of us that we think could possibly get the job, and then we'll debate it. The speculation right now from Zinedine Zidane to Sam Allardyce to Wayne Rooney, like just people need to... <laughs> I actually, I don't find these conversations tedious. I love I this. Do. I do. This is like... Aren't these the conversations just, that you're supposed to have after a World Cup? Like, where, you know, where they're, I don't know. I kind of, I think this is, these are normal conversations to be having right now. I think it's great. I think, I think getting into the names and also not being realistic in the names, like not well, yeah, that's, narrowing. Yeah, that's kind of, that, that's a little, that can be like annoying, I, I, I suppose. But Like Julie, Julian Lopetegui. He's going to leave Premier League wages. To manage the United States? Uh, no. Now, I, I will say this, though. I do believe that the U.S. are prepared to pay. Like, I don't think that you're, that they're looking to get someone on the cheap here. That would surprise me. I, I think that I this think... could be a job. I just I just don't know that a manager... Like, I don't... Are these fun jobs to have? Like, a, a, a team that barely ever plays? Where, like, no. where you're the U.S. And, you know, the way we view them versus, like, whatever the whatever they actually are, like the, the expectations for this team are really, really high when like, you know, it, it's, you don't have much time to coach them. I don't know. It's, I don't they're know not, if it's a fun not job. Re- they, they can be appealing. It depends on much work you want to do. I mean, it fell into Jurgen Klinsmann's lap. I mean, one of the big problems with him uh, being involved in the German setup and being involved in Bayern Munich was the amount of time he wanted to play in his adopted home or spend in his adopted homeland of the west coast of the United States. So when he got the US job, it was a perfect fit for him. He wasn't very good at it, but it didn't matter. Like lifestyle wise, it was perfect. But you, you think of other people, they've got to take themselves out of the limelight in Europe. That because coming to CONCACAF, you're not in the limelight until you go to a major tournament. And you have to take yourself out of that long months preparing to play Curacao, you know. Yeah. Like even even the European friendlies are hampered by the fact that there's Nations League games now, games that matter. So the US find it harder to get top quality opposition. Anyway, it 
We're spending 20 minutes on this, Not and enough. there's an actual World Cup happening. I should say, like before, something- before we do move off of this, there are reports, because we talked the other night about how you know, it's almost a situation of desperation that the U.S. get into that 2024 Copa America. Nothing is done yet, but you're seeing reports of it feels like it's heading in that direction. There's even one report out. I think it was Fox Sports MX reporting that it was going to be held in the United States. I mean, I don't I don't know if I feel comfortable right now stating any of these things as absolute fact, but it does feel like we're approaching that where there's smoke, there's fire phase of this. Um, I know Max Bretos had been talking about it. He's certainly, for yeah. me, a trusted name in this sports, in, in the soccer industry. Um, so I, I'm certainly enthused on the growing sentiment that it feels like this is something that's going to happen. Because honestly, I mean, when, when we were rolling through the, the competitions the other night, we didn't mention the Olympics. But I don't know that I that's never going to be a thing that this first team group is going to play together. The Copa America could would be the biggest thing that they could possibly take part in between now and the next World Cup. And I think it's it's essential for their growth and for the continued interest among fans that have connected with them during this tournament, that they be a part of it. And so these reports are nothing's definite, but it's good. It's all good. feels like we're headed in a good direction here. Yeah. And it was Greg Berhalter to decide, yeah, I'm, I'm out. I've had my time. I'm off to the clubs of Ibiza. Um, then uh, the job becomes more attractive. If you're into the Copa America, mm-hmm. you know, then it becomes, becomes something different. But again, yeah. Nothing concrete. What's concrete is the World Cup we're having right now, Andrew. Can I draw you back into that? Um, they don't call me Tipper Bore for nothing. I'd like to continue on this Bearhalter conversation, if that's okay. All right. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let's move on. We'll move on, of course, because you're right. Like I said at the top of this podcast, we're in the uh, phase of this tournament where we can take a breath. So let's do that, JJ. Let's kind of do not like the full retrospective, but sort of a little bit of like looking back on this. Um, some of the big takeaways from this World Cup so far. Um, I, I have a couple so, things here. My, uh, yeah, I've I've a few, but some of them are just kind of personal and that's all right. Uh, yeah, I struggle with this one because I guess I'm right in the middle of it. I can't see the wood for the trees. All I can see is the the pitches. I guess. What do you mean you struggled with this? I don't understand. Yeah, I I I usually I have like oh yeah, and then there's this, and I'll write notes. And I've written notes, but I'm, I just don't think it's my, it's my strongest segment. I'm, I'm letting, people, uh, letting people know I'm ready for their disappointment. What are you, some kind of empty vessel? You don't have any thoughts after all these matches from the World Cup? This is, this is really troubling. No, you're sucking the life out of me right now with some, some of your Henry Bush now. Tepper <laughs> Bore. <laughs> go on, let's go. All let's right. do it. Um, well, here, I'll go first. I mean, look, I guess, I don't know, mine probably aren't groundbreaking either, but um, these are the kind of the things that have just stood out to me so far. Uh, JJ, my first one, Kylian Mbappe is a global alpha. When you think about what he's done over the course of two World Cups before turning 25 years old, it's it's actually become wild. This is from uh, 538. Ty Schalter has a, a piece up on Mbappe and what uh, he's done. Ty! Full kit wanker tie. Oh, is that right? Yeah, tie went full KW for uh, one of the U.S. games. Oh well, now I re- I respect him even more now. Um, Not just the numbers, bod. He uh, he writes this about Mbappe at five thirty eight. He says two weeks shy of his twenty fourth birthday. Mbappe already has netted as many World Cup goals as Messi nine and more than Ronaldo or Maradona, both who have eight. He's averaged a blistering 1.52 goals per 90 minutes in Qatar behind only England super sub Marcus Rashford. 
If France takes its 48% chance to beat England on Saturday, we can talk about that number, by the way. Uh, Mbappe's scoring pace projects him to tie Pele for fifth on the all-time World Cup scorers list by this tournament's end. JJ, just the I'll go back to the early the the beginning part of that. Um, like we think of like the legends of the game, and like the fact that Mbappe is he's 23 and he's already tied Messi on on World Cup goals. That he's already got more than Ronaldo and Maradona, who it feels like. In many ways, I mean, obviously, I know he was a club legend, but so much of the legend of Maradona was made in World Cups, and like Mbappe's twenty three, and he's already there. Passed him. Maradona only played in uh, in three World Cups, four World Cups, eighty two, eighty six. Then was the one where he just completely took over. Mm -hmm. Ninety was a tough one for him, but they got to the final. So I guess, and then ninety four. Well, he didn't get to finish because right. he was done for, for drugs. Uh, Schalter in this article also points out that Mbappe, it's not just you know that he's scoring goals. He's just generating so much of the attack. Uh, he's generated the third most XG plus uh, expected assists since 1966 in this tournament. I mean, I, we talked about this before the tournament started, JJ, and I'll kind of reiterate it now. We, we said on the eve of this tournament, when we when we did our breakdown of France and the Contenders podcast, we said, "Is it? do you feel like Mbappe needs a big tournament here to kind of like clean his reputation a little bit? Well, here we are. I mean, like if his transfer sagas or like his reported ego issues, like if those caused you in some way to look at him differently over the last year or so, I get it because I think that was starting to almost poison me a little bit as well. The fact that we don't really see him much because he's playing in the league, oh, we just kind of get these quick glimpses in the Champions League, and it's brilliant, but we just don't see it quite enough. And then we hear stuff about, oh, he just got this new contract, but he immediately wants out. It's like, what's this guy all about? So if, if that's where your mind was headed with him, I mean, this tournament has just served as just like the ultimate slap to the face of just like waking all of us up to the fact that, I don't like, is it, I think you can say right now, he's the, is he the best player in the world? Like, can I say that right now? I feel like, I feel like you can say yeah. it. Why? Why are you even worried about saying? I worry about everything. Just have at it. It's no problem. Absolutely no problem. Don't worry about saying that. No one's going to come after you. Well, now if you said Greg Berhalter is one of the best managers in Concacaf, you'd be in trouble. Well, so that that's my first up to this point in the tournament. That's uh, that's my first takeaway so far. What what do you have? Oh, I have uh, I've misread the tenor of this. Um, oh, what does that mean? Yeah, no takeaways. Like I, I was struggling for because. Like that, that whole Mbappe one from you is is fine and everything, but it feels as if France are only really starting their tournament now. England are only really starting their tournament now. They should, they absolutely should be where they are at. They haven't played anyone. But Mbappe's been a a joy. He's been like the light of this tournament. Like he's cool, but but his his legacy in this tournament will actually be written this weekend. Like in 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 this tournament, obviously he's won a World Cup already. But for 2022, will be written on sat on um, on Saturday. Actually, you bring up an interesting point. How much does a World Cup? I, I've been thinking about that—the legacy conversation and what a World Cup does for for that. Like, can a guy's legacy be hurt by lack of World Cup success? I feel like you should only kind of get bonus points for it. I feel like it's not a thing that should hurt you because there's just so many like variables that you have no control over. Like Mo Salah didn't get into this World Cup. Erling Holland didn't get into this World Cup. You know, they, they play for countries that it's just like those are countries that it's hard to qualify if you play for them. Does it does it hurt them in some way? I don't think it does, but I think it can help your legacy if you perform well, I, like, like Mbappe is. I, I think in the era where the club is king, it won't hurt you as much. 
but it certainly did in the past. Like it hurt a lot of players, I would say, internationally for recognition. Um, maybe not Ryan Giggs because he just played for so long, but like some of the Welsh players, like Wales had some fantastic players. I mean, Ian Rush is not talk is spoken about really as a great world goal scorer. Um, but like his numbers are amazing. But the fact that Wales weren't on the big stage probably hurt him as well. I don't know. It's it's a good one. I think that's changed. Um, I think the club game is king now, and what you do in the club in the club game really matters the most. Um, my one here is just the just the mornings, Andrew. The biggest takeaway for me is just the buzz in the mornings that we've had. Sure. Um, obviously not this morning, but you know you get up in the morning and you know there's football on and it's going to be really really good the quality of the games has i'm not saying every game's been an absolute classic but there's been so many good entertaining games and even the ones that were nil nil we'll we'll get to talk about spain and morocco in a little bit but even those been fantastic enthralling and i i suppose it's the time of the year it's not sunny outside uh you are you're if you're working from home like it's it's just amazing. And the, the buzz from the World Cup, that's the first thing that's really struck me about this tournament. Yeah. I wondered, first of all, I wondered with the tiredness of the players coming into the tournament, where this World Cup would, would situate itself. The quality has been very good. I am sure a lot of those players are going to pay for that down the line towards the end of the season. However, it's been great. And, and the games have been so enjoyable. And interest has been through the roof so yeah. I guess the buzz of the games for me was the first thing that I've, that I've uh, really taken yeah from. I mean that's been reflected in the TV ratings certainly for the US men the US men's matches they've done very well uh, on Fox those that's been really encouraging but yeah, I've, I've been at two I've, I've been I haven't really been out that much I've watched most of them at home and really enjoyed it but I, I was out for England and Senegal at the weekend Fantastic bar, absolutely packed with England fans. Yeah, if we were um, worried that the the weird time of year would in some way, I don't know, almost subliminally affect people's interest. This is usually a summer event. It feels weird being now. Maybe people are busier this time of year. I have not felt that at all. I don't. I don't. And I get the sense you haven't either. It seems like interest haven't has been felt it. as high as ever. Haven't felt it, yeah. and people are talking about it. You know, there was commentary that well, well you know, with the NFL on. You know, is is it going to get talked about here? It absolutely has. Yeah, it absolutely has. Uh, let's see. My next one here, JJ. I'll throw you a bone. I'll give you. You know, you were worried about the, the tone of this. I don't know. Maybe he's maybe he's too serious with his choices. I thought this was supposed to be fun. I'll give you one right now, JJ. Um, you're a smart guy. You have you, you've said a lot of smart things on this podcast over the the many years that we've done it together. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I really need to give you credit for something in a way that I almost never have before as I've been watching these games. JJ, the most right you've ever been about anything, maybe in your life, is the Lady Gaga bad romance intro at the start of these games. It's all I hear now. It's almost to the point where FIFA could be sued for copyright infringement. I mean, if Gaga is not onto her lawyer. (laughs) It's unbelievable. They've ripped the bridge. Out, out of bad romance and they've just said it and and as the camera sweeps across the grass oh, 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 oh just it's bad romance i i don't know how this passed through the legal teams all it's it's all i hear and i've seen the reaction on twitter ever since you said it and everyone agrees it's like i said it's it's the most right you've ever been i, I gotta I, hand it to you i applaud it it's it's an amazing catch by you 
just on music, uh, I know Qatar is not, it's it's their first World Cup. It's not a football country. We've realized that by all the empty seats at stadiums and the weird atmospheres and all that stuff. But so some of their entertainment, like it's been, it's been odd. It's like they've gone to American hockey games and basketball games and you know the way there's like Zombie Nation by Kerncraft. I mean, the royalties alone from from uh, the NHL that they must get for that being played at Stadia, you know. Like, okay. So it's almost as if Qatar has gone to these games and thought, let's get that artist. Let's not play the song. Let's get the actual artist. A band I haven't heard of in like 25 years since I was like 15, Republica, were playing. Um, their song is Baby, I'm Ready to Go. Mm-hmm. They were they were playing at halftime or something in, in, or before a game. I just saw it on Twitter. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, And you can imagine the money they're on. Like Republica, they have not had a hit in the past two and a half decades. They had one hit. They were the epitome of a one-hit wonder. Look at them there. Weird. Very strange. They yeah. haven't gone for the big hitters. They've gone for more what you would hear on a Saturday night at an NHL game. Interesting. That's yeah, very, very observant. Um, do you have any others? I have one more. Uh, one more. Yeah, I have, actually. Okay. Um, I just did a quick list. This is more serious now. Yeah. Um, the... LGBTQ armbands, Palestinian flags, the US-Iran press conference, Kosovo and Serbia, migrant workers' rights, Germany's silenced protests with their hands over their mouths, the enormous carbon footprint of this tournament. I, I And I'm not covering them all. That is just a sample of the sheer weight of causes, issues, and crises that have come to the fore in this tournament. I don't remember another tournament that in the opening few weeks had so many of these issues not swept under the carpet, but like talked about. And I get that there was tournaments like in 78 in Argentina, in Argentina, like in the middle of a, like a, a dictatorship, yeah. a military junta. You know, I, I get that there's been, there's been tournaments in Russia beforehand, but just the sheer weight of everything coming together has, um, has, I, I that's really stuck with me. Yeah, no, that's a good one. It's been, uh, it's been one of the most. I mean, I guess you could even go back further, right? With Russia not being allowed to continue in qualification, like the the political nature of this tournament has been as front and center as honestly any sporting event I've I've ever seen. Maybe. And that letter that Gianni Infantino sent to all the associations, like before the tournament, hey, we're here for the football now, so let's just talk about the football. It just goes to show the intersection of sport and politics and society and sport. That's not, there's no way to pull those apart. Yeah. Uh, let's see. One more for me, JJ. Uh, I'm only going to mention a, a couple here. There's probably a lot more that could be mentioned, but um, something that stood out. I know this happens at every tournament, but I'm just enjoying it at this one. The, the next wave of young talent is really using this World Cup as a showcase. And I think that's, that's always a fun part of any uh, any international competition, and we're seeing it here. Cody Gakpo, three goals in four games. Um, and was it him also that took away Tim Reams off the goal line for the Dutch? 
thought that was him. You um, can't give that as a goal, though, Andrew. No, but its importance was um, was essentially the same as a goal. It was keenly felt by a nation of Americans, for sure. Yeah, that's, that is for sure. But yeah, watching him, I mean, obviously his name, when you went through, before the tournament started, his name was on the top of most lists of young players to watch, and that is absolutely come to fruition and you would fully expect him you know, he's already started talking about manchester united uh leeds has come up um as different teams that that could potentially be in for him um unfortunately for those teams i'd say that price tag has gone up significantly over the last two plus weeks uh, and there's going to be quite a, a a battle to uh procure his services he's been he's been spectacular no question about that jude bellingham Have you tried to pick your team in the tournament so far what's that have you thought about picking a team of the tournament no, so far? Haven't given it even a second of thought. No. Okay. No. Uh, Jude Bellingham, JJ, another. Uh, so uh, his performances on the field at this World Cup have obviously been—they've been, they've been uh, um, incredible. The goal versus um, Iran, assist for Jordan Henderson, the hockey assist for Harry Kane. I mean, he's just been for for a guy his age. He's nineteen. He's been mesmerizing, um, and it's been really a joy to see. The thing that's important with him. That I, that I find really interesting is kind of how he's going to handle all this off the field. So Yaya Torre, I think, has been like a, like a correspondent, basically, for The Athletic. And he's he wrote a piece on Jude Bellingham and what he's seen so far. And in it, you know, he, he raves about him. But he does mention one thing in there that I found really, really interesting. And he kind of used Deli Alley as a cautionary tale, saying that oh, you know, God. the kid is so gifted, you know, we there needs to be like this effort to make sure he's protected in the right ways and allowed to mature in the right ways and don't have maybe too much thrust upon him too quickly. Um, that's important. And then Oliver Kay, also of The Athletic, wrote this in a, in a separate piece about Bellingham just, I think, yesterday. He said, uh, Dortmund head coach Eden Terzic recently described Bellingham as, quote, the oldest 19-year-old I have ever seen. What he meant was he had never seen such maturity in a player of that age, both in terms of the way he performs and the way he behaves. If the stereotype of a young English footballer is of a man-child, grossly unfair in many cases, sadly accurate in others, then Bellingham is at the other end of the spectrum. Those are good signs so far. Um, he's extraordinarily extraordinarily young. There is now an even brighter spotlight being placed on him because of the way he's performing at this tournament. A lot of fame and riches and wealth is going to come out of what he's done here. I'm expecting a huge move, possibly to your club, J.J., seems like Liverpool could be at the front of the list, which is just a, an incredible thing for them in a moment where it feels like they could use that kind of injection into the team. Um, this has been, it's been fun to watch his kind of rise uh, to global prominence. Um, I'm sure there's other guys that I'm not mentioning, young players who have really taken this opportunity. Uh, those are a couple that have stood out to me. And, I, and it's one of my favorite things at these tournaments is, is the the young guys that suddenly become household names, if they weren't already. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's like Guardiola is in in my mind now. Sure, um, going to be interesting to see how he copes against the Brazil attack. It'll be no knock on him if he finds it a struggle. To be honest <laughs> with you, with the way that, with the way they played the other night, uh, Bellingham has stood out uh, to me hugely as well. I got to say, the other night, like Foden, Foden was excellent too um, for England, which um, which is concerning for all of us. Um, and we'll get to you know, I mean. It's an elder statesman almost, <laughs> but Hakimi from Morocco. Uh-huh. Uh, we'll get to him though. I don't want to. I don't want to jump all over Hakimi. There's sure. many, many um, angles to discuss Hakimi. One of them a very, a very 
very personal angle for you, I'm oh, sure. Interesting. Yes. Uh, you got anything else? No, nah, that's me, I think. Oh, uh, the other thing, um, just a quick one. I am still surprised by how goals make me, just get me up off the sofa. You know, there's been, like, Freuler's goal for Switzerland is the one that jumps out. I mean, Shakiri dinks the ball in. You'll have to forgive me. I can't remember who backheels it, but he pulls the whole Serbian defense with him, backheels it into the path of Freuler, and he finishes lovely with the volley. Like, what a great goal. Um, and then, obviously, uh, Paqueta's goal for Brazil. Even the English goals, I, like, grudgingly thought they were they were excellent goals. Yeah. Um, yeah. Doesn't matter. May have seen something similar to it before. Oh, and um, uh, Gonzalo uh, Ramos for... Uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah, we'll get to him too. I don't want to stand over the, the next Well, let, then let's go right into that stuff. Uh, we're, right. we're at the doorstep of the quarterfinals. And what... I mean, what a set of matchups we have. Like, I don't think... I don't know if you could look at any of these and, like... You've got to be intrigued by all of them. Like these are all fun matchups. The first, we'll just go in, in order here and roll through these. Friday, 10 a.m. Brazil and Croatia. Uh, I'll say this about this matchup before we even get to like the on the field stuff. In terms of um, the aesthetics, great jersey matchup. The classic yellows of Brazil against the classic checkerboard of Croatia. It's just it's what you dream about if you're a, a stylist. Ah, uh, I, I got to call out our friend Peter Rosenberg. Like and. I love Peter, but Peter talked about the Croatian jersey. It's not like not a good look huh? um, from a st- from a style point of view. I'm like, when the Croatian jersey, like it's based on their flag, Peter. They didn't just choose. Oh, we'll go with that. We'll go with tablecloth adjacent. They didn't do that. It's because it means something. It's like Irish people didn't go with green just for the simple reason that oh, green is in this spring, sweetie. You have to go with green. Like, so when you talk about style, you're talking about the cut of the jersey and how it looks. The colors are, you just can't account for them. They were, they were brought back from antiquity, from the further reaches of time, another time in history. You can't give style points based on color-wise. There's classic colors, Brazil, sure. But if you don't like the checks, I, I, I think that, that Croatian kid's iconic. Of course it is. I think it's, I think it's great. I, I have got a lot of, I've got a lot of respect for the nations that, like, don't mess around. Like right. Brazil, Go Croatia, they're just like, this is our uniform, all right? There's no big reveal coming. This is what we're wearing. I, I would The U.S., if they did it with the Waldos, if they announced that at the next cycle, guys, we're going with this. This is it now. I'd, but, we'd love it. There'd be but people dancing the wrong, in the streets. But that's the wrong comparison for the simple reason is every other country, almost every other country, has their one home jersey, and we all know what it is. The U.S., no idea. No idea. Well, the white ones, I mean, well, yeah, you're right. Seems to have There's, settled in as the... But, like, there is always variation to it. Um, yeah, when I was going back, JJ, before the night before the Netherlands game, when I did my, like, rampage through YouTube of great U.S. moments, I mean, the, the Confederations Cup uniforms from 2009, those are really good. I like those ones a lot. Um, but, yeah, the Waldos, of course, you know, we'd all be thrilled. And like you talk yeah. about, like the Croatian ch- pattern, it comes from the 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 flag, you know, the Waldos, the the stripes. Like, it, I don't get it. We don't have to rehash this, but anyway, the game <laughs> itself, though, um, you know, Brazil coming off of that destruction of South Korea, the four goals in the first half, some of them just 
gorgeous. Just things of beauty. The the Pequita, uh Richarlison's. Um, I mean, do you, the way we are looking at Brazil right now, do you have them on this kind of unstoppable level that some of the Brazil teams of the past, that moniker that they've carried with them through the tournament, or is that maybe overvaluing how good this team actually is? I think that's too much. Like, are they as good as, as the O2 team? Probably not. I don't think so. 82, definitely not. 70, no chance. But um, it doesn't really matter because they're good enough. Like, they're strong at the back. They're playing, at least in the last game, so freely that you feel like they can beat anyone left at the tournament. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I, I wouldn't compare them to a classic Brazil team. That doesn't mean they won't win this World Cup, though. They are absolutely capable of doing that. And and the big thing, watching them and uh, and then, you know, listening to some of the commentary about them, like, they're they're not soft. They're not soft at the back, Andrew. They're they're as much as this is like a more free flowing version than we've seen in a long time, or it feels like that. Um, like Allison at the back, and, and defensively, they look they look really really stout. And um, there's no there's no obvious weakness there. I mean, there's usually not when you're talking about the favorite of a tournament, but I don't I don't know. It's I don't see how you get at them, um, but. I mean, they can be got at. Like, like, like. I don't think there is a truly perfect team in this tournament. But you know, I mean, Marquinhos, Thiago Silva, then Danilo, Milicao, and then everything up the field after that. Oh. Like, they're they're solid, man. They're really, really solid. And they've they've had a I won't say a breakout star, but um, Richarlison to come in. <sighs> And be as good as he's been, and also carry the burden of the absence of Neymar for a little bit. Like I know Neymar is under pressure to perform because he's Neymar and he's he's placed so highly in the ranking of world World Cup teams. But in terms of the team, they're not solely reliant on him. No, they're not. They're not. Now, as the competition gets more difficult, we may find out that they do need him if they're going to win this thing. You know, he's going to have to be. Their guy. Were you surprised he didn't come out earlier of the last game when the game was like decided? Like, were they trying to get minutes into him? Because I would have thought with a, a slightly dodgy ankle, he should have come off quicker. Um, but I guess you, I guess maybe there's the pressure to keep him in. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, I don't know. That that's fair to bring up. Um, what about Croatia? The, once again. A dark horse label, but maybe a, a team that we have to stop giving that label to. They were obviously were runners up in 2018, uh, but this this test now is going to be as difficult, maybe, as that one that they had that day against France. I mean, it's not. It's certainly not ideal for a team that does have some aging legs in the side, more than a few, to have gone to extra time against the Japanese, who were full of energy and running. Um, they're going to they're going to be I, I I do not expect Brazil I expect Brazil to beat them I do not expect Brazil to go through them like they went through South Korea I just don't see that happening I'd agree with that um but I am curious you know how much how much thread is left on this Croatian tire um and I like they they do have to work that little bit harder for their goals you know they're not they're not exactly free scoring 
and that would be a concern for me. No, they're a tough, um, hardened group. Um, I'll be interested to see how they deal with. Uh, not that I'm saying I have a problem with Brazil and their flair, the dancing stuff like that. I don't see Croatia putting up with that. <laughs> no, I don't know. No, I mean, and look, they're you know they're a very good possession based team. How are they going to be when maybe they don't have a lot of the ball? Um, like, how are they going to be set up? Uh, and they don't have like they don't have blistering pace on the break either. So can they play that way? Um, like I know they opened out on 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 Canada four one, but. Like really, every other game is like nil nil against Morocco, nil nil against Belgium, one one against Japan. I, I I worry for them even when they do create chances. Yeah, it, it could be it could be a long night for them. Well, okay. Uh, let's see. We stay on Friday with the other game at two o'clock Eastern Time: Argentina and the Netherlands. What a fun matchup uh, that this this one is. We obviously had an up close look at the Dutch last weekend against the U.S. Um, I don't know about you. One of my takeaways from that is that I think I underrated how good they are. Um, maybe some of that was from their, their group stage performances. Uh, the fact that they were in a group where it felt like they maybe didn't necessarily need to get out of, um, you know, second gear to find their way through. Um, but I mean, watching, you know, obviously the, the early goal helped them. It allowed them to change that game completely and dictate the way that the rest of that game was going to be played. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we, we talked about Van Dyke, Frankie de Jong, but like, I mean, God, the, the performance of, uh, of Denzel Domfries in that game, he was spectacular. I mean, there, I think there, I thought Timber was good too. He was too, but I mean, Dumfries in, in with the assists, um, you know, even daily blend JJ, like we talked about, he was, he was good as well. Like, I, I think that, I don't know. I'll, I'll speak for myself at least and say that I, I think I underrated, um, just how good they were. And I think that they will, I mean, Argentina, we'll talk about Argentina, but I don't know. This This one feels like extra time to me. Yeah. Like, the Dutch, the Dutch were better than I thought. Um, scored some brilliant goals. Tactically, in, in some ways, outmaneuvered the U.S., but they can be gotten at. And you wonder, I'm, I'm curious what LVG has up his sleeve for Argentina. You know, it's funny for both teams, Andrew. This is the first time for either side um, that they've met an opponent of their weight division, of their weight class. Uh, like, I know I said with France and England, this is the point at which the tournament is beginning. And I know Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia. All that being said, this is this is a game of a different level, of a different magnitude. And I, I wonder how both sides are going to respond to that. And, and I'm curious about Argentina. I'm, I'm still not convinced by that. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess that's fair. The, something I would ask you, I mean, I know Messi has, has fared well in this tournament, scored the first against Australia in the round of 16. Something you said before about Neymar, that for whatever, for however he's viewed, we all pretty much view him as the best player on that Brazil team. Obviously, we view Messi as the best player on this Argentinian team. But like you said about Neymar with Brazil, it's not necessarily him that needs to carry this because of what else, because of what else that team has to offer around him. What about with Argentina? Do you feel that way a little bit with them or does it feel like as Messi goes, so will they? Yeah, because it's, it's so strange. Like Ken early kind of broke Messi down the other day and what he does now. And what he does is he takes up positions where he can be on the ball, 
But where he goes to receive the ball and, and start things, Andrew, is often where there aren't defenders. Because if he tries to play in between the lines or close to defenders, he's not capable of it anymore. So he's the things he's doing are, are so, so different. And the team has to adjust accordingly to that. So I, I, I certainly, like Messi doesn't, the team is much more focused towards him. It's not, he doesn't hold the team back in the way some other players have done, which we will get to. But um, like, like for me, what, what's going to be crucial for them is like those other players, like we've seen performances from um, Alvarez. Like, like yeah. I did not think, like I, I know he mentioned him before the tournament, but I wasn't sure that what kind of role Julian Alvarez would play. Now he's absolutely vital. He's huge for them. Um, Alexis McAllister in midfield too as well. Um, so yeah, yeah, the pieces around this team or around this Messi, rather, like they have a huge, huge uh, role to play as well. He's still the central character, but just the way Ken described how watching them live made him think about the way Messi plays. Like, I, I wonder, like, is a wily manager like LVG going to know exactly how to stop Messi? And if he does... A lot of, a lot of do- really wily managers have given that a lot of thought over the years without much success. But if he does, what's Argentina's plan B and how, how do they click into gear when, when their talisman is nullified? Like, it, it wouldn't shock me if LVG's got something for him. Uh, let's see. Let's move now to Saturday. Oh, before we go, before we go. Yeah. Um, there's such football heritage in this game. Like, the quarterfinal in 1998. Yeah. Like, so I think that the Argentinians have played... Um, the Dutch have, have played two kind of roles... Uh, back and forth, so so the Argentinians destroyed the the last of the the Dutch dream in the seventies with the with the World Cup final in seventy eight and the win for Argentina, and then in ninety eight, um, with Bergkamp mm. and Holland defeating the the Argentinians, there was some kind of revenge. That famous goal from Dennis Bergkamp. This is just a, it's such a big game. I like I'm I'm super excited for this one. I don't know. I don't necessarily think it's going to be the best game. But it's the one I'm I'm most excited for. I think. Are there? I'd be curious for your answer on this. You're you're kind of the historian here. Um, what are the great international rivalries among nations that are not in the same region? Like like I'm not talking about like one UEFA, like Germany and England or something like that. Like I'm talking about like cross, you know, a, a conmebol UEFA. Like are are there? Can you identify great rivalries there? I'm trying to think if there, if there are some good ones. Oh, like off the top of my head, um, like with this qualifying, Italy and, Bra- Italy and Brazil. Okay, that's that's always a classic. Uh, the Netherlands and 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 Argentina for me is it's just been such a kind of a an iconic game. It's had it's it's a. It, once it's been a World Cup final, it almost it kind of feels like that. I think I would um, throw. Uh, how about the U.S. and Ghana? Can we throw that in? <laughs> they only meet in every World Cup, it seems. Yeah, maybe. I'm kidding. I'm not so sure kind about of. that one. Um, I like. I can think of classic matches like from across continents, across uh, confederations. Um, I'm sure there's other ones I'm I'm missing out on right yeah. now. Oh, I, I'm I'm. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah, um, just something I uh, popped in my head. I don't know. Yeah, no, d- d- uh, those are the two that that stand out for me. Get involved. <laughs> Comment on Twitter at uh, CEO Soccer Pod if you can think of other ones, guys. Uh, let's move to Saturday now. Here we go. 10 a.m. Portugal 
and Morocco, as Morocco have already knocked off one, what is that? That's the Iberian Peninsula, right? Spain and Portugal? Yeah. yeah. Now Maybe now they'll get the other one. They'll have their chance, JJ. What a performance. What a performance from Portugal in the round of 16. My God. Um, I'm guessing you have a thought or two on how that may have happened. Well, it was amazing. Um, it was truly amazing for, you know, Gonzalo Ramos to come in and score a hat-trick with Ronaldo dropped to the bench. And for Portugal to put in their, the best, it's the best I've seen them play uh, ooh, since Rui Costa was pulling on a jersey for them. Hmm. Like, because they didn't play well in, in Euro 2016. I mean, they stank, but they still they won. tied pretty much every game in route to a title. Yeah, they were, and they, they were just, they were bad. Um, but unburdened oh, by Ronaldo. Yeah, there we go. Free of Ronaldo. So before the tournament, do you remember what I said? I said, if they can, if they can break free of the constraints of either the manager or Ronaldo or both, this team is going to, this team has the personnel to fly. To like be really good, they are now a contender for the World Cup after that performance because the Swiss are not bad. They're not a bad team. Like they're they're if you saw them against Serbia, if like they're a solid outfit, and they got ripped apart. Mm. Like the the goal where um, I think it was his second goal where uh, Ramos is just running through and he just flicks it over Sommer, like just flicks it over. But even the first goal, he just turns and leathers it with such conviction into the roof of the net. It was truly amazing. And, and however it came about, whether it was the comments that Ronaldo made come when he was substituted against South Korea, where he said something like, uh, you're in a rush to take me off, F you. And Fernando Santos took it that he was saying it to him and then responded by saying this is very bad. Now, Ronaldo says he wasn't. He was saying it towards a South Korean player who was trying to get him off quickly off the field. Whichever, or whether Santos just said, I cannot win with this guy on the field. Whatever way it came about, this team is completely flying. And then you had this weird, like, so you had the, the newspaper in Portugal that had the vote, should Ronaldo keep playing? And it was like 70%. He's got to come out of the team. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have the stadium. And, and loads of people that were there were saying the Portuguese supporters that were there were not cheering. But when Ronaldo, when it became clear Ronaldo was going to come in at 5-1, like the whole place erupted. So all these kind of, I guess, locals and tourists. Yeah, people who, who were in that There were people there who just wanted to see a legend play. I guess so. Who maybe their allegiance they, wasn't necessarily to Portugal specifically. They just wanted to see Ronaldo in action. Yeah. I mean, action's a strong word for what he does now. I mean, he put the ball in the net, but he had, to get to that ball, he had to be like, what, 10 yards offside from running from the halfway? Um, this team can win the World Cup, and he may get his World Cup winner's medal, Andrew, and he may not start any game from now on in. And he may, God knows he might score. Yeah. Maybe this team is going to be so unburdened that they run in a sh- chance for him. Or if there's a penalty and he's on the field, 
That's the that's the mind blower for me. Does he get the penalties now, even though he's not starting? I mean, I guess he does. He gets the captain's armband when Pepe came up. But it was even. There was just. Did you see Pepe? So Pepe scored, aged um, seventy-two, and as he's coming off for Ronaldo, like he he gives the armband to Ronaldo, and it's almost like, there you go, like like patting him, almost. Almost a charity feel to it. I mean, I think now you're projecting a little bit. I'm not so sure. I'm I'm sure Pepe didn't mean that, but that's the way it looked. It was was so weird. It was so strange. And then, in the midst of it, I'm going to break your rule. I love John Strong, but we've just seen this, like, this hat-trick of goals from, I think, was he the youngest player to score a hat-trick in the knockout rounds or some one of those... World Cup records. And John Strong spent 10 minutes talking about Ronaldo. Like, and it was this monologue. I was like, when is he going to stop? Now, there wasn't much happening in the game, um, as it just seemed that if Port- it would, I mean, Portugal were done and dusted. Absolutely bizarre. Uh, but what wasn't bizarre was Portugal just looked so good. Incredible. Absolutely yeah. good. And now I'm fascinated because they're going to come up against this. Well, we'll talk about Morocco, I guess. Yeah, it's got a little bit of an unstoppable force versus an immovable object type of <laughs> yeah. type of feel to it. Leila, who is a listener, I think her name's Leila. I hope it is anyway. She sent us. You know where Stewie gets gets absolutely ripped. Yeah, and um, he starts bullying Brian on Family. That's guy. the one that ends and with pro- him saying, uh, "I flew today, right?" <laughs> when, He's on steroids. And yeah, his Brian's muscles turn to, to mush, and he becomes like a flying squirrel and flies out the window. <laughs> That's right. But Brian's trying to get down the stairs and Stuart goes, up, 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 and he won't let him buy. That, there was elements of that, of that Spanish performance um, against Morocco. Because Morocco were, first of all, Morocco were superb and could have won it themselves. They had, they had uh, two shots on target, but they had that slaloming run through the Spanish defense only for the shot to be straight at Unai Simo. Either side of him, and there wasn't enough time. Spain, um, Spain could have been here till St. Swithin's Day and they wouldn't have scored a goal. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the Spanish, like it was a repeat of Russia 2018, a thousand passes. Mm. The Moroccans just so resolute, wouldn't let them through. Um, Spain started with Asensio up top. They had no like out-and-out striker. They brought Nico Williams on and, and actually... One of their few moments of penetration uh, was where he gets down the right-hand side and in behind Morocco, and he whips a cross in that like goes right across the front of goal, the Moroccan goal, across the goalkeeper's leg almost. And there's no one there. There's nobody there. Um, Spain were just like, you know, you thought you saw so much progression from Spain, even at times during this tournament, the Germany game, the Costa Rica game, and definitely at Euro 2021. And now it just it just felt like old Spain, old, old, impotent Spain. They'll do a thousand and ninety five passes and it won't matter. And ultimately in the penalties, Andrew, they had Morocco's penalties were how would you describe them? Um, Confident and the penalty kick taker knew exactly what he was doing. And then the Spanish had uh, Sarabia, who had a really good chance 
flicked the post with a volley. It would, it would have been a brilliant goal to to win it right at the end for Spain, to be fair to him. Uh, Sarabia, uh, Soler and, and Busquets were just they were poor dreadful. penalties. Dreadful penalties. Dreadful run-ups more than anything. Uh, you could tell. Bono I was with, watching it. You could tell if they were going to score it before they had even made contact with the ball. These run-ups, right. JJ. What is this? Yeah, no, they're shocking. I mean, unless you have a down like Bruno Fernandes, and even then I don't like his particularly. Jorginho too. Ring. Who's that? Jorginho also with with Italy. Yeah. I I I don't know. Busquets was just a sad effort. Um and Bono was an inspired for him in goal, and that was that was Morocco through. And then Rodri came out with this stuff. Morocco offered absolutely nothing mm-hmm. without disrespecting them. In the game, they did nothing. They wait, just waited for the counters. They stayed behind and tried to counter us. I mean, I'm sorry, Rodri. It, it's unfortunate Morocco didn't come and make it easy for you. Um, yeah. But uh, it was just amazing. Um, can we can we play the audio of uh, Hakimi's goal, the Arabic audio of his uh, winning penalty? Ashraf Hakimi, What a moment. Before we get to the actual penalty, mm-hmm. just, you know, being born in Spain, um, having come through uh, an immigrant family, the the way he spoke about sacrifices being made by his siblings so he could go and live his dream and then to produce this, this amazing moment for Morocco. It's just a wonderful story. Not so wonderful, Andrew. I'm sure you'll agree. Actually, I don't agree. Just you give me your thoughts first on on what Hakimi did. The Panenka. Yes. Yeah, I have a long storied, troubled history with the Panenka. It's been well documented. You Uh, hate it. uh, The ball. No sooner did the ball go through the net that my uh, my mentions were ablaze, JJ. (laughs) Because here's the thing: like to do it to win in the round of 16 in a World Cup, it is like, how can I say this without kind of betraying my past? It is cool. Like, I, I get the coolness of it. Yeah. Um, and like the stones that it takes to, to do something like that. Um, and so a lot of people came to me and wanted to know, okay, well, we know how you feel about the Panenka, but like, look what he just did. Like, are you not changing your your stance? And so I I have given it a lot of thought, and I've kind of put myself in the position. Okay, if I were the manager after something like that, what would I? How would I be feeling about what just happened? So I've I've kind of gone over in my head if I were talking to him, you know, like Ashraf, you are you're a national hero. Like what you just did, I can't even believe what I just saw to to win a round of sixteen for your nation. We've never been to this position. Um, this is. This is truly remarkable. Um, also, see that see that bench over there. That's where you'll be for the quarterfinal. Congratulations. No bench. The, one of the best fullbacks in the world. You're going to bench him. Bench. No. Can I? You can't can I do this. It worked out for him, but JJ, like, I don't know. I'm. A, but, I'm but a, can I? I guess I'm. I'm Tipper Bore. I want the numbers, JJ. I just need empirical data. And I simply don't believe that that is the most efficient way to convert a penalty. And if it's a situation where it's to win in the World Cup, 
you do what works best. What if that? What if the keeper didn't move? Or what? If, I mean, it was it was centrally located. There's a chance that that because of how soft he takes it, the keeper could kick a leg back and knock it away. It's not worth the risk, dude. It's just not. Can I know I... it looks cool, and like we'll see the highlights forever. And like, who knows? If Polisic did it for the U.S., maybe I'd feel differently, and I'd oh, buy the course. T-shirt and I'd buy the shirt of him doing it, all that stuff. But like, as a neutral observer, it's just it's not worth the risk. Stand over the Can ball, I... smash it into the side netting. Let's all go home happy. Can I just say that uh, I loved Ziyech's penalty? Just makes the keeper go the wrong way and leathers it down the middle. It was it was fantastic. Now, this was a different breed of Penienka in that... It didn't float he, quite as much. No, it was a lower trajectory yeah. and it had more pace on it. True. Therefore, a safer Penienka. Still against it? See that bench over there, JJ? Oh, my God. That, that's, right. where, <laughs> that's where you'll be. Good Lord. I can't. Yeah. It's just not, for me, I don't care how cool it looks. Like, okay, think, I'm trying to think if it was the NBA Finals and like you're, you're, de- you're it's tied with six seconds left and like, you know, I don't know, Clay Thompson steals it at midcourt and he's going in, he's going to win the NBA Finals. And instead of just like a two hand slam as the time expires, mm-hmm. I'm going 360 between the legs for this one. All right, if you make it, that's awesome. Like, wow, what a thing you just did. But, like, also, let's just win the finals, all right? Right. That would be cooler. So I get it. I do get it. Why people think Penyanka it's awesome. talk is... I just... It's, Pen- I'd rather just win in, in the safest way possible. It's just, it's just how I am. Penyanka talk is sponsored by Trojan. Trojan for safety. I hate fun. I feel like that's how I'm coming off here. I want no part of fun. Just give me standard. Let's just win um, in the most boring way possible. But I don't know. I, I just, the Penankas, even I, I acknowledge how cool they look. Um, but it's just, if I were a manager, I just, I'd have no time for it. Is that what you wanted we to do? We got do? one. Well, yeah, that's it. We got one game left, Andrew, which we kind of previewed on the last podcast. If you haven't listened to it, we talked about the matchups and the players that are going to going to cause problems. Have you anything fresh to say about England versus France on Saturday at 2 p.m.? Um, I'm just so intrigued by this matchup. I mean, obviously, look, in terms of just like the high-profile nature of these teams, uh, they're both massive giants. In terms of just what the who the favorites were coming into this tournament. It's the most, if you're going off of that, it's the most high profile match of the quarterfinals, two of the top. I mean, depending on which odds you were looking at two of the top four, um, coming into this tournament. Uh, the question I have for you, I'll I'll just start with France. I mean, obviously they've been excellent, um, over the course of of what we've seen so far with maybe the blip, uh, in the, at the end of the group stage when it didn't matter for them, but are with all the injuries, that they had. Are you surprised that they've actually been this good or, or did you kind of think, well, look who's still there. I mean, it really should still be the, a, a train that remains on the tracks, regardless of Benzema or Nkunku or Pogba or whoever. No, they've been, they've been very good. And I, I've been surprised by say like Rabio, like <laughs> I didn't, yeah. I wasn't sure Rabio was going to start in there. He's been very good. Uh, too many excellent. They're going to face a, I'd say a stiffer test than they faced so far, obviously on Saturday. Um, but like, 
like Kunde, Varan, Upamecano, Hernandez. Like that's a that's a solid workable back four. It's not their first choice, but they've made it work. And like we talked about on the last pod, what they've got out of uh, Griezmann has been nothing short of uh, revelation. Like doing things and running around. I was listening to Kevin Kilban talking. Uh, he's out there working for uh, Canadian TV, and he was saying that actually the limited minutes because of his weird contractual situation has worked for Griezmann. So like he hasn't been playing a ton of minutes coming into this tournament. And now he's able to cover every blade of grass. He's be, he's been able to do that kind of role. He's been able to drop deep into midfield. Get Remember we talked about him getting back in his own penalty box and, and, and you know, starting things from there. And Kilban reckons that maybe that's the perfect preparation. Start in August, September in your club scene. And if there's a World Cup in right in the middle of the club season, it's it's advantageous to have played. You know what was he playing, Andrew? Like he could only play like forty five minutes or thirty minutes or something like that. Yeah, because a clause would kick in and and they'd owe a whole ton of money to Barca. Right, uh, I think there was so yeah, yeah. So it's 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 kind of worked out perfectly for him. Um, yeah, I've been slightly surprised. It hasn't, France haven't been knocked off their stride. But again, like in terms of the real business end of the tournament, I haven't met anybody. Nobody. And now they will. And so I cannot wait to see um, how they face uh, against England, who, again, haven't really faced anybody, but showed signs against Senegal of, of beginning to show what they're made of or capable of. One thing that's interesting with this French side... Uh, Oftentimes we've associated them under Didier Deschamps as playing a style that we kind of we kind of wished they wouldn't play. That we felt like there was enough skill and talent there and, and potential yeah. greatness that they they could be a little bit more free and open it up. I think we're kind of seeing that in this World Cup. The uh, the five thirty eight article that I referenced earlier it also talks about this French team and compares how they're playing in this tournament versus how they played in twenty eighteen when they won that World Cup. Um, and it, it, Ty Schalter, he notes here, in 2022, France has created chances 69% more often, taken shots 29% times more often, and scored 12.5% more often. Um, so in terms of their attack, what they're doing seems to be happening at a, at a much greater rate than it did back in 2018. So. And and G- Giroud has been in great form. Mbappe, he's been, it's just been a like the ta- the, the front the attacking four of that side is just it's it's been perfect. But again, this is this is a different caliber of test. Yep. I can't wait to see Giroud up against Stones and Maguire. Will it be Stones and Maguire? Like there's so many questions. Will England go to a back three? Don't know. Um, um Well the, the interesting parts of this for me, I mean, there's been this whole Mbappe Kyle Walker conversation um that's come about. We'll see how that matchup plays out. I mean, look, I, I think very highly of Kyle Walker. Uh, but you just heard me say earlier, Mbappe's the best player on the planet right now. I'm taking him up against any defender at the moment, the way he's going. Um, the thing with England that I find interesting is like, this is kind of a moment for them to silence some of the, the critics that they've had during this kind of Southgate run. You know, we talk about 2018 and their run to the semifinals, and a lot of that is kind of shaded with the, yeah, but it was Colombia and Sweden in the round of 16. Right. Um, you know, 
in the Euros, like no, no offense to Denmark, but it was Denmark that they got in the semifinal, kind of a dark horse team as opposed to a European power. Well, now they got France. Now they got the defending champs. Like if they, we heard Declan Rice's comments coming out of the English camp the other day that, you know, people are always poking holes in England, England's performances. People are never willing to give them credit. All right. Maybe, you know, maybe you're right. If you feel that way, this is your chance to prove it, that all that stuff is nonsense. Uh, so I'll be, it'll be interesting to see if, if we get kind of uh, a chip on the shoulder version of England in this one. That could be fun to see. Should I go out for that game? Uh, I mean, if you do, you'll probably wind up at, at some kind of French establishment. You're not, I mean, are you going to go into the fire here, JJ? I um, I have a lovely 1996 French jersey. I bought when I was 14 and I, hab- I had a habit of buying things slightly too big for me. So it still fits. Nice. Vintage, beautiful. Um, I went into the bar the other day. It's my friend's bar. He's London Irish. He's obviously shouting. He's a Tottenham supporter. Um, his parents were Irish, but he, you know, he's he's a Londoner. He's shouting for England. And uh, I see him, and it's it's a sea of uh, English supporters, and then Americans wearing their Premier League club jerseys, but are decided to shout for England, which is okay. Um, and so I see, I see him and I shout, come on, Senegal, at the top of my voice. And he turns around and he's like, who said that? And then he saw me and started laughing. So do I, I don't want to bring trouble on myself. Maybe I'll just. Oh, come on. We all know your sensibilities. What do you think you're hiding? Get out of here. So I go out and should I go to a French, there's a French bistro down by me, but I don't think they've got a TV. It doesn't feel like a raucous atmosphere for a. No, a glass of wine. Quarterfinal. <laughs> A French piece, glass of wine, and listening to Edith Piaf. <laughs> it won't hurt you at all, JJ, if you see, you know, Jordan Henderson and Trent. In, in if you see these guys in tears at the end. No, you are a cold no. soul for all the joy those guys have brought you. No, 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 no. That's not how the the international rivalries work. Um, England must lose, Andrew. They must lose. Uh, I do not feel the way you feel about them. I don't no, mind you'd, them. I enjoy you'd, them. You'd wear an England jersey with can on the back. No yes. problem. Yeah, I would. I would do that. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. You're going to wear a French jersey. What's your ties to France? What are you wearing West, right now? What? Anyway, you have some jersey on right now. What is that? Oh, this is this is my uh, my club in, in Brooklyn. Oh, my okay. soccer club in Brooklyn. Oh, well, I guess you do have personal ties to that. But... Y- Yellow hook, yeah. Um, no, I... Uh, it's it's there's so much we could do a pod on this. It would be so much fun. Um, yeah, it's a rivalry. I feel sad for my cousins in England. Mm-hmm. Okay, I feel sorry for them. But um, I get else. it. I, I do understand. I understand. You gotta have rivalries. I, know, I you completely have to. understand. I get it. And by the way, it's not just me. It's the Welsh, the Scots. We want them bed home, humiliated if if possible. <laughs> Uh, I'm excited for this. I'm excited for all of these, but that one in particular, I'm kind of glad that it's last. I feel like for me, like all the action will be building up to that one. That's the one I'm most and you excited can, for. Yeah, and you can dress in your little flat cap like you're in from London, wear your Cane England jersey and go, Hello, Amanda. Mm-hmm. It's your husband, Andrew. I'm supporting England, so I am. That is, that's You nailed it. That is my, when I put on an English accent, that's my Cockney accent. Before we get out. Yeah. Uh, Michael tweeted us it's probably not said enough so I wanted to say thank you the amount of time you guys have been putting in during the World Cup 
uh, doesn't go unnoticed. Your pod has been a great way to get post-match analysis after each match day. And I'd like to thank you, Michael, for sending that and tell everyone, go and subscribe to our YouTube. That's one important place you can go. Then watch our videos. If you're a U.S. men's national team fan, go and watch those live stream videos that we did. They were a lot of fun. Leave a comment. Leave a like. Do whatever you got to do there. Go to Apple. Like, subscribe, rate, leave a, leave a review. Spotify, the same thing. I know you've been doing it in your droves. We need you to keep doing it, and we really do appreciate your support. That is very nice. Uh, I appreciate that comment very much. Um, much nicer than the... <laughs> no one listened to your podcast because of stupid comments like that. You're a joke, which you received oh, got... in response to one of your anti-Ronaldo uh, tweets. Uh, I said, and I wouldn't, like it was a Portuguese guy from Canada. And I, in fairness, the animals jumped on him a little bit. I felt bad for the guy. Um, but he was just such a fanboy. Because I actually said Portugal are absolutely legit. And especially now they've been unburdened from Ronaldo. Yeah. See, so that's, that's, that's like, when you have to wonder... You, like, is he a Portugal fan or is he just a Ronaldo fan? I, it's a good point. Like, no one should be uh, that mad when their their team is being complimented after such a performance like that. When it comes somewhat at the expense of one of the players on the team, but like, ultimately, you should be thrilled like that the team did that. But he seems he seems angrier that Ronaldo's not a part of it than he is that Portugal's actually succeeding. Could you imagine how angry those those people in the stands would have been if Ronaldo didn't come on? You know, it's a it's riot. a weird this messy Ronaldo era. Even remember the Neymar stands that came after me when PSG put in this great performance at, at Old Trafford and they won the game and there was one move and I said if Neymar was fit, he's not getting that back. And the next thing I get quoted on like a, a Neymar fan blog in Brazil. And there's just a deluge of people coming after me. So this is a this is a very different era in terms of like you support your team hundred percent. Like when when it was time for Steven Gerrard to hang them up, I was like sad and everything. But you know the club is always going to be there. Um, but I guess that that dynamic has changed. Yeah, it's almost like when you went after Alan Pardew. Remember that? Wow, <laughs> I didn't. I went after Newcastle United and defended Pardew. That's right. That was House crazy. of Pards. That's right. Um, wow, this was fun. We've come all the way full circle back to Alan Pardew conversation on the, on a World Cup podcast. How about that? Who would have checked? Yeah. Who would have checked the way that off the bingo ma- card? Uh, yeah, and the way you say it, Pardew, you almost make it French. Mm. There's JJ with a nice beret at your local bistro watching the World Cup, England and France, this Saturday, two o'clock in the quarterfinal. This should be a really, really fun set of matches. I can't wait for them. Cherish this. Cherish these matches, people. We're coming We're coming to the end of this. This has been so much fun, so take all of these in the best you can because it's been it's been great, and I just want to enjoy all, all these games. I hope they all go to extra time. That's what I'm rooting for. I want 120 minutes from all of you. Uh, this was fun. We almost, we almost gave people 120 minutes today, <laughs> so good on us. Hey, good stuff, JJ, to you. I say... Allez les bleus. I'll see you, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.